have your own perceptions and values and things that you've taken for granted uh, that are part of a kind of whole social attitude and see it can be slightly different or very different and it makes us look at ourselves and see our own reactions sometimes people have a culture shock I remember taking a group of uh, British people to Thailand years ago, 1981 uh, and they'd never been to Thailand we were going to see Ajahn Chah uh, in northeast Thailand and I tried to warn them about it they were all kind of full of enthusiasm and going to this monastery and, and some of them actually really freaked out when they got to Thailand because everything around them was different the, the climate, the food, the, everything they felt this tremendous in, uh, insecurity Remember, some of them just went slightly, you know, crazy for, for periods of time. I've never, I decided I'd never do that again. <laughs> <laughs> I never have. <laughs> Not that anything was wrong or that, but it's just different. It's different than what you're used to. Things that you, you know, you know are safe and solid and, and, what what one is used to seeing or tasting or hearing or feeling when it's changed and we if we don't if we, if we have never really had an opportunity to, to notice change then sometimes we lose we feel very insecure frightened by the loss of those very little subtle things that that we depend on for feeling safe and secure that's why sometimes meditation retreat is, is, a, is a good contrast to your lives because where your lives are, you, you're, you go home and you have the way you do things, the, 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 the kind of profession or job that you have, people you know, the, and everything that is kind of uh, familiar, what you're used to. And then coming into a, a retreat situation. People are getting strange, people like Venerable Jutindra and myself, shaven-headed, Sister Sangamita, strange-looking woman, <laughs> shaven-headed women, and these Buddhists and this chanting, and, and uh, we can feel quite, quite uh, averse to some of these things just because it's different strange. You know, walking uh, through the streets of London sometimes, or Hemel Hampstead, where I mean, people just startle and they, they have to yell something abusive at you. They, Hare Krishna, which is quite <laughs> a <laughs> Sometimes that, that's fairly nice one, and some, some of the others that I won't repeat. But the the uh, this is it's like startles you know, the seeing a uh, a man or woman in a, in a different you know in a shaven with a shaven head or robe. And it's interesting to see how people react, like like men, young men, lorry drivers, people like that. They. Oftentimes you get shouted at by a lorry driver because they just see us in terms of it's not what it's not what we're used to. It's weird. It must be a weirdo. Of course, you know I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> But we easily become creatures of habit, and it's, uh, I think, from, from my own life, I've, I've, uh, you know, from early age, I've always been fascinated by foreign things or uh, exotic things, or 
studying foreign languages or or cultures of Asia or think, uh, or he always wanted to travel abroad or live in different places so uh, or try different foods attracted to the to the uh, eccentric I always liked the the eccentric ones when I was a schoolboy I liked I liked the weirdos the ones that weren't normal But some people like, want everything to be, you can see the conservative, when we, when we had our appeal last November to build this temple, we had to go to appeal because there were some peop, local people who were, were raising a campaign against us to stop us from building this temple, Buddhist temple here at Amravati. And uh, we went into the, into the, Brajindra was one of the witnesses. You got two of the witnesses for this appeal sitting here <laughs> and uh, we <laughs> I remember going into this room in Hemel Hampstead uh, this, uh, uh, on one side of the room was this whole this kind of row of these establishment figures uh, <laughs> of this area decorum <laughs> council and all that and uh, you go into the old kind of white Tory conservative types all sitting there like this, you know, and very kind of smug and supercilious uh, appearance. And then we kind of went in in our robes, and and I, I looked at us, and I thought, we really look weird in this setting. <laughs> this kind of ragtag group of monks. <laughs> Several of the nuns went, and and so <laughs> the. Uh, and and this other this this proper establishment figures were all sitting across on the other side from us, and uh, you felt this, uh, you know, you could immediately feel it. They had they had a kind of confidence of being, you know, God is on our side type of feeling. And confidence that comes from that mind that uh, that feels that, I mean that. It has a, a kind of uh, a smugness about being the right of the right class or the right group, having been that that uh, which is socially acceptable, the status quo, that which is is uh, held in in regard uh, regard as normal. And of course, a, a Buddhist uh, seminar, a Buddhist monk or nun is. So, uh, you know, in, in, in the European setting is we're on the fringes of the society. We're, the, we're we usually are like in interfaith uh, meetings with all the major religions. We, we usually are seated next to the Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> <laughs> Mormons and things, people like that. <clears throat> But in terms of Dhamma, then one is contemplating. It's because life does affect you. This is, uh, as you're very much aware, this is a state of sensitivity in which we we do feel uh, the the atmosphere, the the vibrations, the the uh, the way things are. And we have, we, we, you know, when we can pick up a mood or a feeling because this this realm is is uh, a sense realm sensitive realm so living in the sensitive state is a you know it's an ongoing uh, challenge for us to learn how to to interpret this sensitive state how to see it how to understand it rather than be caught in just inadequate reactions to, to life, to the things that happen to us. Because if we're just conditioned and, and caught in just the, the force of habit, the, 
and uh, the prejudices and biases of our cultural conditioning, our social conditioning, or our own attitudes about ourselves that are conditioned into the mind, then uh, then we tend to the we not we d we don't tend to understand what's happening. We always we we misunderstand, and then we create suffering in our minds. So the thing of uh, the, the Buddha's dispensation, the Buddha's teaching, is to is to awaken the mind to to its where to that point where it's empty but alert, awake where we're not coming from, we're not grasping any position of how things should or shouldn't be or what we think they are or are not. That's why when we, when we establish mindfulness, we're, we're learning to come to an empty place, uh, to, to, to be in the, in the here and now before we start, uh, say, creating or projecting or building it compounding anything onto it. That's why it's important we use like the 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 body itself, the the breath, the silence as a way of this of developing this, of centering ourselves. Or the still point. Just contemplate your own kind of uh, just what it is to be a human individual. So that that you know you can Say things like this: the center of the universe, practically speaking. Because, for the, wherever I am, wherever this body is, this is this is this is the center. This is a, not not in a terms of a of a of the absolute center, but in terms of practically experiencing life, the universe then comes from from outside, impinges and touches and and moves us, affects us, affects this uh, sensitive form. So going to the, the still point, or the, the silence, or the centering yourself, is, is, is otherwise if we don't do this, then we do. We tend to get just caught in reactions to life. Liking or disliking, uh, we see something and we we see something weird and we call it a, f a name. We or we uh, we we we're always uh, we oftentimes we don't notice things very much because we're so concerned and so obsessed with our own um, well, that's with ourself so much. We we don't feel life. We 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 don't notice things. We're blinded by our own obsessions. So, so those. So when we begin to see, we can let go of that, letting go of these conditions. Then we we get to that to the say. Sometimes they call it the original mind. They want a name for it, but the like the the Zen con. What is your face before you were born? or the empty mind, or the amatta dhamma, the deathless reality. So in, in the Buddha Dhamma they talk about amatta or amara, amaravati is a, means a deathless realm. Mara, the word mara is, is a term for death. And it's also the term for delusion. So, so when the in the, the personification, like the devil in Buddhism, is called Mara. The Mara, Mara comes and tempts the Buddha. The kind of personification of, uh, of the tempter or the deluder. But it also means death. That which is death-bound. And so Mara, when we when we say when we're we're identified with the body with the conditions of the mind with the conditioning of the mind and the and the uh, conditions around us like our attachments to material things or to ideas ideals or 
to to our to a sense of ourself or our body or somebody else, then then we are in the realm of Mara. This is the realm of death because all these things are impermanent. And we reflect, all that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will become otherwise, will become separated from me. So the, the aim is to realize the amara, or the amata. These are, notice in the Pali formulas, the, the, the negation of death is deathless, Amara. Mara is death, Amara is deathless. Amara Vati, Vati is like a realm, deathless realm. And people ask me why I named this, this monastery Amara Vati, because in, ten years ago when we came here, in, in 1984, we've been here ten years, uh, in Britain there was this uh, kind of, in Europe in fact, Western Europe, there's this tremendous kind of fear that there's going to be a third world war. And they're bringing all these cruise missiles from the States. And there's all these protests, and Greenham Common, and various things like this. People, women were protesting against this. And there was this kind of anxiety about that there was going to be a, a kind of dreadful war between the communists and the Americans. And Britain was going to be kind of in the middle of it, it was like arming a battleship or something. And, and uh, President Reagan, I remember, said things like, said very disconcerting things like, I don't fore I foresee a possible war taking place in Europe. <laughs> 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 the Europeans, all of us that live here, are pretty upset. <laughs> Not going to be in the States, but it's going to be over here. So, this was, uh, the, there was so much of this kind of uh, anxiety about life and death. And nobody was ever talking about the deathless, or there, there didn't seem to be any reference to anything other than, than, uh, me and my life and the world and the planet and and uh, the conditioned realm this seemed to be the to be the only thing that was available to people's consciousness and to, the people weren't reflecting beyond it there were no suggestions that, that i came across that there was anything other than than just this condition realm, uh, this planet, this body, this experience of life is all there is. And if that's taken away from us then, uh, you know, it just if we, we, we kind of go into a state of just, uh, you know, there's nothing more than that. And you could see that our life was kind of meaningless, just in terms of political views and, and national allegiances and and social attitudes and and all that uh, that in term uh, you know our life didn't seem to have any point to it uh, just holding on just carrying these these kind of opinions around and then and then arguing and, and having wars and conflicts around the various conditions and graspings of human beings what's the point of it And so religion is always, say, the function of religion is, 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 a, is the convention pointing to the deathless. And in, uh, this is sometimes, uh, it's not, you know, in, in, uh, in the Buddhist uh, way of presenting things, it's very clearly stated. Uh, there's a marvelous, there's a, the clearest statement I've ever heard about the deathless in, uh, in, one, in, the, in the suttas. And it goes something to the effect of, there is the unborn, uncreated, unoriginated. And if there were not the unborn, uncreated, unoriginated, 
there would be no escape from the born, the creator, the originated. But because there is the unborn, uncreated, unoriginated, there is the escape from the born, the created, the originated. Now that, that whether you realize, that's very a clear statement. Of the paradigm of the relationship to the, of the condition to the unconditioned, or to the created and the, and the uncreated. Now take these words, unborn, uncreated, unoriginated, or deathless. These are, these are negations of things, negations of the created, the born. But when we're, when we're contemplating now, we're, we're contemplating the impermanence, the anicca of the condition, like the body is obviously a condition in nature. It was born, when it reaches its end, then it's dead. Then, uh, then this applies also to all mental phenomena, whether what you see, hear, both the, the organs themselves, the eyes, the ears, of course, these, these can go before we die. We can become blind or deaf before the body dies. The, uh, the sense world, in other words, that what we perceive through senses is conditioned. So, you know, what uh, thought, memory, emotion, feeling are all conditions. So that these, these conditions, they are, uh, they when, when, when we're attached to them, when we're identified with them, when we, when we make our, when we take positions, when we interpret life from a conditioned place, then of course, we end up always with some form of suffering as a result. Because it's, it's just the way it is. You, because it's, it's, the, it's the unsatisfactory, it's the death bound. So, anything that you, any condition that you grasp is going to take you to some form of death. So, death can also be seen as a, a kind of despair or uh, some negative uh, unknown state. Uh, uncertainty, doubt, worry, or all kinds of mental deaths, like deaths in, uh, of mental states. Because death, say, uh, when we contemplate death of the body, we don't, we're, uh, we don't know. It's, it's something that's going to happen, isn't it? We we know we're going to die, but it, we're alive now. We're we're living within the. Uh, this this form, this experience of life within a conscious form. So death is the unknown, what we don't know. But we can explore the ending of things, say mental phenomena. So in contemplating this, we we uh, you know you can see that that uh, that let's say. Uh, any 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 kind of feeling, um, emotion, and that has, if if you attach to it, it takes you to some kind of, like if you if you're attached to happiness, it it's impermanent. So it, it, when it, it reaches its peak, then then you then it turns into unhappiness. So that then you're grasping this unhappiness, which is painful. So then you then you go and seek happiness in something else. So life can be, we can just live our lives going from one thing to the next. When life gets painful or depressing or boring or despairing, then we, we go on, we try to, to say, be reborn, find something that's been, that's, that's, uh, that can make us rise up again, get some kind of interest or inspiration or happiness from the condition. So that's why the conditioned realm can never satisfy us. It's, uh, it, it gratifies. It has a kind of temporary gratification, but its very nature is unsatisfactory. So in the long run, we become if if all our a all our efforts are going towards seeking fulfillment and happiness in the conditioned realm, then it's, 
we end up as cynics, bitterly disappointed creatures. Eat, drink and be merry, tomorrow you, you may die. <laughs> So then the, see, the function of religion, the purpose, is, is the pointing to the deathless. And so, in, say, in, uh, it's interesting with Christianity now, especially like Roman Catholicism, because uh, some of the theologians are, are very interested in emptiness. They, they call it kenosis. They have a Greek word. Because in Christianity, Christianity has, 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 uh, it's implied, but it's never, it's never, it's not part of the official teaching. God is always personified, always has attributes. God is a Father. God is a Son. God is the Holy Spirit. God is in the Trinity. So, so God is always in the sense of God being somebody. And so, this uh, say is is one of the problems in in the in the in the Christian path because say mystics and Christian mystics have all you know have to you, you usually they end up saying you have to let go of God. In in like what is it the uh, in uh, cloud of unknowing this kind of English uh, mystic back in the. 500 years ago or so, some unknown writer wrote this book called The Cloud of Unknowing, in which they, they you know, this, this state of unknowing and this, where, where your, all your views and opinions and attachments to the concepts of God, you have to, you, you know, you're letting go of them. Or in the mystic, uh, Spanish mystic, St. John of the Cross, it's uh, Meister Eckhart, people like these, mystics like these, were talking about the experience of emptiness. As God is nothing, as no thing. And of course, uh, that is very difficult for Christians because uh, when, when you talk to many Christians, they're so, they're, they're conditioned to see God as a very personal relationship. As God is, as a father that you talk to and God that looks after you and loves you and protects you, and, and uh, they encourage this this kind of personal uh, approach of where we where we relate to God on a very personal, loving way, which has you know is it, it inspires the mind. It's very inspiring. So, in the level of inspiration or, or that, it, one can get, you know, emotionally, get a kind of emotional security in a sense, and, and a certain kind of positive feeling from such belief. But in the long run, the, the religious experience is, is the experience of letting go. Because otherwise, you're still holding on to, to images of God, to teachings or doctrines or views and opinions, attributes, ideas about God. There's still, there's still conditions that one is attached to. You know, they might be very good ones. There's still the attachment there. So in the, some of the modern theologians, in, in especially the Roman Catholic, form of Christianity, are talking about God is no thing. And the, and the English, we have this word, we can say God is nothing, which sounds like it's one of these statements that you, you say, you're denying God. You say God is nothing. You say he's an atheist. Or God is no thing. He's not a thing. Or and and so nothing and no thing. Uh, these are words that uh, what things are conditioned, aren't they? Or say the word exists. You can say God doesn't exist. You say he's an atheist. 
they're the theist doesn't like that when you say God doesn't exist. But existence is, is about the conditions of the mind. Something exists when, you know, and then it disappears. Like existence is what comes forth in the consciousness. So, so existence is, is, uh, is conditioned. So, pointing to say God does not exist means it, it can be seen in terms of a denial, this kind of, you know, an intellectual rejection, or it can point to, to the experience of, no, of non-existence or the uncreated. So this is where, where say, we, we contemplate in our own experience of life, what is this uncreated, unborn? In our own, in not, not to imagine it as something that, that is, you know, you, they're not around us or it's not, that you can't realize it because it's, it's here, it's now, it's timeless. We call it Dhamma or Santitiko, Akaliko, Ehipasiko, apparent here and now, timeless, encouraging investigation, leading inwards to be experienced individually by the wise. So Dhamma is also the conditions, like we call it, the, uh, we see all the, the condition, the body, the, everything in terms of their Dhamma. The, all, the, there's the conditions and the unconditioned and the relationship to that, to, that, that they have with each other. So in this, there is, because there is the unborn, uncreated, unoriginated, there is an escape from the created, the born, and the originated. So there is an escape from the suffering and, and, and the sense of I'm going to die and, and death and, and the, just the unsatisfactoriness of the conditions uh, that, you know, instead of thinking that we always have to find another condition to get hold of, we, the, the kind of suffering that we create, the the anguish of our lives and the confusion of our minds around the, this just running around trying to find the, the next nice condition to attach to is, is it, we become weary of it. We become weary of the rat race or what they call the vata sangsara or the cycles of, of conditionality. Just like getting on the wheel, like one of these wheels that monkeys run <laughs> We just going as fast as we can on the wheel. We have we don't know how to get off it. So in meditation, then the this this going inward, leading inwards, Upanayaka Dhamma, where we where we we're beginning to we're not trying to find something in in terms of a thing. But you're letting go of it. You're, you're you're learning to let go, so you're realizing non-attachment, and that realization is the, the third noble truth, or niroda, or the cessation of conditionality. To be experienced individually by the wise, mm -hmm. you know, is as as clear as it is in the Buddha's teaching. Uh, I, I, I regard this teaching as the, as the most as the clearest uh, statement ever made by any human being. You don't find it such a clear statement in other religions. Meister Eckhart almost found it. I'll realize that by default, in spite of it, Christianity. <laughs> and yet you can hit you hear it in the like the perennial philosophies or the religio perennis, these kind of, it's a kind of underlying paradigm of all religion. So, so that this is uh, this, and the, yet in uh, in the Buddhism, this is very much uh, 
something that is very clearly stated. But even in the Buddhist world, not, not contemplated very much. So sometimes you find, in, especially in the emphasis on vipassana, uh, in the modern, everybody's interested in doing vipassana in, uh, in America and, and in, uh, here in Europe and in Sri Lanka now, everybody, people are interested in taking vipassana retreats. And, and, and oftentimes this vipassana is, is uh, you know, it, it tends to get, get attached, identified with a technique. Or it, or it's just see if we see you, you have to see everything as impermanent. Uh, it's easily one can you hear people that have done a lot of vipassana. Sometimes they, they, they get in. They just they they become, they just noting the impermanence of things. The, the nietzsche. But oftentimes that impermanence is not related to anything. It's like you're just, you're, you're just kind of exercising your mind by looking at impermanence without realizing that the, 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 the Niroda or the Third Noble Truth, the, the uh, cessation of conditions. Because it's in that, that, in, in that realization where things see, where you're, say, Letting things go in your mind, learning to l- really let go of things, relax, watch, listen, that, that you realize the deathless. So they have, this is the deathless, another state, etang amatang, this is the deathless the non-holding of conditions, the, the release of the mind through non-holding. Another very clear statement. So this is why when, when we, you know, when we're contemplating Dhamma, we're, we have to recognize what holding is in order to let go, to, to, to relax, to let go, not to grasp. Because Usually, we, we're just used to grasping everything. Grasping Buddhism, grasping meditation, <laughs> grasping what the teacher says, grasping what we feel. Or what, and so, grasping is uh, something that, that it, we, we do all the time, which we, we, don't, we don't know we're doing it. It's just, so just the, the momentum of habit, the conditioning process that we we're lost in it. So, see, meditation now is where we're watching it. Getting to know what it is, what it feels like. And so then when we, when we recognize the suffering of grasping, then we, then we have the insight into letting go. Now the deathless Is, is is what we call realization. The insight into the third noble truth is is realizing. It's called realization of the cessation. Nibbana. The word nibbana means is translated as the realization of non-grasping. So, like a realization isn't is it's it's it's, oh, it's the, the reality of things, isn't it? It's not it's not something you're finding something that you don't have. You realize you realize that which is which has always which has always been, but uh, which we've never realized before. We've been so caught up with our own. Uh, obsessions and so forth. So in in the Buddhist teaching you do have like the deathless, the 
emptiness, shunyata, anatta, or non-self. Well, the, these these uh, words, you can't conceive them. You can't conceive non-self. What am I if, I, if there's no self? Because everything I think and uh, is is a condition. If, if I think that I don't have any self, that's another self. I'm I'm a self that doesn't have any self. <laughs> they go around with that. So the <coughs> it's obviously that that the self the Buddha is pointing to that is the delusion is the is the the, the thought the view of a self. And so the 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 mind when it when there's this when there's non grasping then there's no sense of a self as a person. We're not we're not believing our we're no longer uh, conceiving ourselves as being anything. But there is awareness Consciousness still operates, but we're not we're not thinking about it in 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 the old habit patterns. We're not we're not identifying with with the memories with the body with the five with the five aggregates the body feelings perceptions uh, and the thoughts and consciousness. So contemplate, say just uh, say the 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 ability to perceive and emote about what you perceive, the emotional life we have. And so, like in this this uh, say just say this clock, the if I if I just I used to experiment with this because. Uh, you know, one, one thing, this is a clock, so obviously everybody's going to agree. So, we perceive this as a clock. Anyone not perceive it as a clock? <laughs> so, so uh, then we, we, we live in a world where we, 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 the perceptions of life are what we think are normal and real. This is a clock. It's, and somebody says, it's not a clock, and then we, must be crazy. It's a, it's a clock, isn't it? <laughs> so the world of perception, of where we name things, we agree that this is, this is what it is. Then, then we, uh, then this gives us a sense of security for ourself. Our self feels secure, like seeing, a, like a lorry driver in Hemel Hempstead seeing me walking along the street. What is it? <laughs> yeah. So first thing, maybe think Hare Krishna. That's that's the perception they have of, of weird-looking people, shaven-headed people. So, so they, you know, you think I'm sorry. This I'm not Hare Krishna. Oh, I happen to be a Buddhist monk. <laughs> But that doesn't mean anything, maybe, to the lorry driver, Buddhist monk, Hare Krishna, they're all the same, bunch of weirdos. <laughs> so, I mean, you can just, that's one way of dismissing, you know, the, the what you don't know, what is strange, or you don't have no knowledge of or perception for. You, we can just say, well, they're all a bunch of crazy idiots. We can dismiss everyone that doesn't quite, that we don't understand, just through this ability that, well, they're all a bunch of weirdos. The beery weirds and the weary beards. <laughs> Somebody once put it. I saw one, one respectable old Englishman down in Devon one time. I said, he went to a Buddhist meeting in Devon. and he, I said, what was it like? Who was there? And he said, 
the beery weirds and the weary beards. <laughs> the, but when we, but when we say, when we look at this and we say, we're, we're not you know, just experimenting with, say, conscious eye consciousness, to say this, this, this object is in eye consciousness. I'm look. There's this looking, gazing at it. So that that the organs of the eye here, and this is the object of sight. So that's consciousness. That's eye consciousness. Like that. There's just a subject, object, and then you perceive it as clock. You, you, you put on, I put on it, this is a clock. So, so the, the, the percept, like sanya, the third aggregate, you know, the rupa vedana, rupa's body, vedana's feeling, sanya is the, is perception, then we, then we, and vijnana is the consciousness, so, Say so there's consciousness, and then then we perceive it. We put it into a category. This is a clock. And and yet, when we think it is what it is, it isn't. It isn't saying. It doesn't say I'm a clock. Somebody gave me a clock for my birthday. That every you push this button, and it says. It is now 9.21 a. p.m. <laughs> In a funny voice. <laughs> but it doesn't go around saying it's a clock. We call it. We call it a clock. So, and this is just a, a simp, simp, simple experiment. But one, another story I have is, is um, how we culturally perceive things. Because the we we have how we value things because of uh, we we see things in a certain way like this uh, uh, years ago at Chitters before we came to Ramabatis somebody gave us this spittoon a tie it's a it was an antique uh, porcelain very beautiful thing with a brass rim and it had kind of blue designs on white porcelain. It's quite big. And so, Western people, we don't, we don't really have the, the, the idea of spittoons as being anything. It's not, it's not something that is so much a culturally, uh, it's not a, a, a shape that we, that we have in, in, in our own culture. I mean, we would, so we could see this, this spittoon as a dish or a vase. So, so because it was so, so uh, beautiful looking, we thought, you know, even though we knew it was a spittoon, we thought, we don't want to spit in this, it's too beautiful. So we, we, we um, put sand in it and put it on the shrine for putting incense sticks. So, I mean, we had this little shrine in Chithurst and and we all thought, this is really lovely, in this beautiful dish, put the incense in, <laughs> light the candles, light the incense, put the incense in this dish. And, and we felt, everybody felt quite pleased, the, the aesthetic, aesthetic uh, appearance of this shrine. And then one day, a very important um, monk from Thailand came, high-ranking <laughs> monk, and so we showed him into the shrine room very proudly and said, this is our shrine. And he looks and he says, <laughs> he says, you can't put a spittoon on a shrine. <laughs> it takes it off. <laughs> and he never thought of that, you know. But yet, when you, when you contemplate it, to, to a Thai monk, I mean, we, the, you have spittoons with you. Even here now, we've got spittoons, and, and that shape now. I mean, now I couldn't possibly put a spittoon on the shrine. It's beyond my ability. 
because every time I'd see it, I'd say, there's a, a spittoon on the shrine, it shouldn't be there. <laughs> but before that, it didn't, it didn't affect me like that. I just thought this beautiful antique dish is there. And you, 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 you're, you, know, you want to put, you want the nicest things on your shrine. So, but, this, this, but, the, but actually, it is what it is, isn't it? It's, it culturally, uh, you could, you know, in Thailand, it's a platoon. It's only for spitting in, for throwing or things in, like uh, pits of banana skins and things that you're trying to throw away. Uh, and so you, you don't, you, you, you don't, you know, that shape just is not something that you would, would ever regard as putting, is something you put on on a shrine. But that's a cultural conditioning, isn't it? That's the perceiving it as a spittoon or as a dish. That's, that's cultural thing. It is what it is though, and, and the fact that it is, a, it is a thing, it's an object. And then we, when we see it, then we, then we react to it. We think of it as, say we saw this one as a beautiful dish, where the Thai monks saw it as a spittoon. Whether it was beautiful or not was not the point. It was a spittoon. So that's an example, say, of perception and uh, how we, uh, uh, how we, uh, this this ability to perceive things limits us all the time if we don't understand it, because we we tend to see our perceptions as reality rather than as merely conventions. So that's why, you know, there are all these, the, the, the kind of problems and conflicts with people and different groups, different cultures and different religions because, because the perceptions we have, uh, we're, we, we tend to attach and hold to and regard as this is right and which makes everything different than that wrong. Just like nationalism, or things, just like we're living in, we're in England now. This is England. But yet, we're calling it England, isn't it? it the land doesn't come up and say, I'm England. <laughs> it's, it's land, it is what it is, but, but we say, you're England, this is England. Well, that's France over there. <laughs> We're the ones. We're the ones that project. We we perceive it in these terms, and I think when the uh, the the astronauts when they went to the moon and, and took photographs of the planet, you know where it was very clear, isn't it? How the it's, it looked. Uh, you know where where are these national boundaries that that we give so much importance to? There there are projections, human projections onto onto the, the things around us. So in, in investigating Dhamma, we're, we're beginning to see this as something, you know, as a conditioning process. It's, it's fine, nothing is a, it's a great gift actually, if we understand it in the right way. But if we're just caught in, in the conditioning of the mind, the cultural conditioning, religious conditioning, uh, political views, and all the rest of it, then we're always, in, we're, going to, we're always creating conflict. We're always in conflict with something else. So even the things like, I am a man or I'm a woman, is, is a perception of the mind. The body is what it is. <coughs> and then... <coughs> Then it, we 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 say it's mine. <clears throat> if it's a male boy, then I am a man. <clears throat> it's a perception that we create. But 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 actually, the the body uh, isn't saying I'm a man. It's uh, it's just what it is. It's this way, and so we're we're beginning to they were we're opening ourselves to the existence and the impression and the feeling of life and we're able to use perception rather than, than projecting perceptions onto life. <clears throat>
And this, of course, is, is a way to realize the deathless. To break down the, the power of our prejudice, our assumptions, our views, that uh, through this, through our language, through our memory, through our attachments to things and conditions, So in, in daily life, it, it helps, really, this can be very interesting. I found it very interesting, too, because you, to break through the, all the, the kind of assumptions one has had about oneself in the world. Not, not, not through, through not, not just kind of dismissing or denying things, but contemplating this, things as they really are. And we can see how certain things bring up emotions. Somebody says, like somebody reminds you of somebody that that has uh, hurt your feelings, and you feel this way. Say somebody has done you wrong. Somebody says, uh, do you remember uh, Joe Brown? Marvelous person. Man of great wisdom. We feel Joe Brown, and then we think, if that man only knew what Joe Brown did. <laughs> because even the name is just a, a name, but yet we, we, we empower that. We, we have these perceptions of this person being, maybe, has, has done us wrong. And, uh, and so therefore, it, just the, just the perception of Joe Brown it may be completely, you know, 10,000 miles away. But this uh, idea, it can put us into a, a right state of, of agitation. We can get upset by all kinds of things just because of, of this attachment to perception. And so we... You know, that's what, like, demagogues play on, isn't it? People uh, that try to kind of influence and control people or you know how the psychology of, of uh, what they call pushing people's buttons or using volatile words or using fear and prejudice and, and all these as, as ways of controlling, manipulating the human mind. Because... People don't understand themselves very well, so they easily you can easily get people angry at another group. You can you can arouse all kinds of fears about foreigners or Buddhist monks or Hare Krishnas or bald-headed people in robes. In the Daily Mail or newspapers like that, they have articles about cults. They do terrible things to people, take you, take children away from their parents. <laughs> so I mean, <laughs> and you can, you, and, and people that don't understand how their minds work tend to get influenced and, and uh, overwhelmed by these, by all these scare tactics and the uh, way that propaganda works. But when we see things as they are, then, then we're no longer uh, easily, so easily taken over by the forces of Mara. We can say, ah, I know you, Mara. The Buddha, when Mara came, was trying to see if, if the Buddha was really the Buddha. You know, the Mara presented himself and was was trying to uh, kind of frighten or intimidate the Buddha. And Buddha says, I know you, Mara. <laughs> says, we're not, we're not, he, didn't, he didn't shoot Mara. <laughs> didn't, didn't curse Mara. Didn't do anything. I just I know. I know you. This is. You, there's no. Uh, there's no. You have no power to delude me anymore. 
So, so that's what a Buddha is, one who, who has, sees things as they really are. So in the, in this is our, with, say with, with us, this is our potential as human beings. Within this human state, before we die, you don't have to wait to be rewarded after we die. We can actually, through using mindfulness and wisdom, we can see things as they, know things as they really are. 